Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, June 2nd, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 5, How It Works, on page 70, the second paragraph beginning with, To Sum Up. Today's readers are as follows. Reading the 12 Steps will be Ken. Reading the 12 Traditions will be Tracy K. And reading the text will be Janice M., Esther C., Sharon H., and Nancy O. The share ID for Sunday, June 1st, is 6410. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Ken to read the OA 12 Steps. Good morning, Rebecca. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food and our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us, and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, 
we try to carry this message to compulsive eaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. I will now ask Tracy Kay to read the OA 12 Traditions. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Tracy Kay. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book in chapter five, how it works on page 70, the second paragraph beginning with, to sum up. I will now ask Janice M. to get us started. Well, good morning to you, Rebecca, and everyone. My name is Janice M., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. To sum up about sex, we earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance, 
in each questionable situation for sanity and for the strength to do the right thing. If sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. We think of their needs and work for them. This takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean heartache. Great. To sum up about this third part of our inventory, they're giving us um, naturally a summary on what to do. What to do. Here's the sex inventory prayer, the sex prayer. We ask God, we, we seriously now, you know, we talked about motives before. We seriously pray for the right ideal of what God wants me to be. We ask him, we pray for his guidance for the right situation on what, what, how we should think for his strength. Because my thinking was always about me, myself, and I, what I wanted, what I needed, how I rationalized, how I justified those behaviors. Oh, yes. So if sex is troublesome, what do we do? What's the antidote? Well, if because the sex conduct and the relationship um, uh, conduct was all about self, what I needed, what I wanted, now I'm going to do the opposite. You do the opposite, Janice. Whatever you want, do the opposite. And that's to help someone else. Because the opposite of selfishness is selflessness. And it's true. It gets our mind, that imperious urge, that domineering idea, the thinking, um, the overbearing urge. You know, stop thinking about yourself, Janice, of what you want, what you need, and what you're supposed to need, and help somebody else. Now, at this stage, it's not sponsoring, but we can do a lot in our own home and, you know, just being kind and, you know, just helping somebody else, calling somebody, see how they are. Get out of myself and help others. And uh, it's not just about sex. It's just about a relationship. And uh, this is what the summary is. It gives us what to do and how to do it. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Well, this is Rebecca then, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater and grateful to be here with all of you, finishing out the chapter, How It Works. And um, I was taught by my sponsor that this particular prayer is we call the earnest prayer. And I looked up the word earnestly in the Big Book Dictionary, and it says, seriously characterized or proceeding from a serious state of mind. So um, we take this seriously, and um, when we pray for the right ideal and for guidance in each questionable situation, and even though they're talking about sex here, it seems to me that this is practical advice in life in general for any questionable situation and um, for that we ask for sanity and for strength to do the right thing. So I find that this prayer is a nice one to keep in my back pocket. 
Um, and yes, it does definitely apply to um, myself with regard to sex conduct, and um, I do take that to heart. And I can also use it in all sorts of ways. Um, and the part about throwing ourselves harder into helping others, that also, when when really anything is troublesome, if I get out of my own head and um, stinking thinking, um, and problem, you know, me and my self-centered little problems, and um, reach out and help someone else, I feel better. I don't do it for selfish reasons. It's just a byproduct, and it works time and time again. So um, I encourage everybody to heed this advice. It's just very sensible, good, earnest advice. Would anyone like to share on this paragraph? This is Katie. Hi, Katie. Good morning. This is Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. And um, so this takes us out of ourselves. Um, We think of their needs and work for them. So, you know, just like you were saying, this um, is a, even if we aren't in a relationship, in a monogamous relationship or we're not married or we're not dating anyone or whatever is going on, this um, paragraph can apply to how we treat others. You know, this is talking about sex and, you know, to not be, you know, completely selfish about it or selfish at all. But but really, um, if I am, you know, seeking God's will on a daily basis, then I have to be thinking about what other people's needs are and not my needs first. And I can't do that on my own. I can't do that. Um, my best thinking, you know, got me to, um, you know, wanting to drive off the road. And so I have to believe that I need an overhaul in every area of my life. And that's what I needed. And I still, you know, today I'm a human being and I, have to constantly look at my motives and why I'm doing things. And so um, this is just reiterating um, that, yes, we can look for the right ideal, and but that doesn't mean that it's going to be, you know, tall, dark, and handsome, as um, someone shared last week. You know, it's, it's what God's best is for me, not – and my thinking – you know, what I think is going to happen does not happen. And for me, you know, as um, I uh, I wanted to get married. I mean, I had, you know, my first boyfriend when I was nine. And by the time I got abstinent, I was 27. And, you know, so once I um, worked the steps, I really thought, okay, where is he? Where is this guy? You know, and I remember I, I had a bad relationship and I, my heart was broken again. And someone said, you know, you may, you may, you're going to be changing a lot. It may take five years for you to meet the right person. And I was like, oh, my God. I just, oh, I was so mad that she said that. And, um, and yet I, was, I had this level of willingness to, 
to follow the direction of people ahead of me. And I, you know, I didn't meet my husband for, you know, till I've been absent for six years. And we've been married now for 19. So, you know, I, it definitely was God's um, timing, not mine. But um, this is talking about just our daily, the way we treat others. So I'm just so grateful that, you know, this program is not just about, you know, getting the weight off and being right size, literally. It is about how I live. And, you know, this is a living program, and I'm um, just so grateful that I can use it in every area of my life. There's not anything that comes up and it's like, well, I don't need to, you know, God's not involved in this one. No, God's involved in everything. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie F. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Katie G from Boston. Sally. Okay, I heard Katie G, Monica, and Sally. Go ahead, Katie G. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks for your service. Good morning, everyone. And recovered for today. Thank you, God. And um, I love this prayer. You know, what does it mean to me? Well, first of all, I didn't realize that... uh, the sex ideal wasn't my match.com profile. In other words, it wasn't who I was looking for. Actually, and my sex ideal is the conception ideal and standard of who God wants me to be, right? Like it's not, you know, my sponsor said to me, you know, Katie, stop focusing on asking God to send you the right person. How about you focus on being the right person, right? Because like attracts like. And um, I love this prayer because it tells me what to do. I mean, the promise, one of the promises about my sex conduct is if I don't, if I'm not really sorry, guess what? I'm going to eat again. You know, because if I'm, if I'm back in that, you know, area of my selfishness, sex affects every area of my life, my self-esteem, my securities, my ambition, my personal relations, my pride, and causes me fear. You know, like, I don't know about you, but like when I, when I'm dating or I'm, in a relationship with someone, there are times that I can get sex on me and it's all about me and it's an obsession. It's all I think about. It's like the food. You know, and thank you, God, for this, this, this guidance. If sex is very troublesome, and I love what other people say, if anything's very troublesome, what do I do? I get rocketed into the present moment right now. How can I be of service, God? throw myself harder into helping others because it's going to quiet, quiet that imperious. And what is imperious? It's overbearing, domineering. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like you've got a thing in your life and it's all you can think about. There should be a chapter in the big book at that time called Into Thinking, right? But notice there isn't. But that's what I think, right? I'm still going back to my sick mind to, to, to solve things and to figure things out. And the, the crazy thing about this program is that when I let go and I take a step back, God is amazing. And um, I love that I have standards today, right? Like I have standards about I don't use men like Kleenexes. You know, I'm not dishonest with them. If I go out with a man and I'm not interested, I tell him that. You know, if I'm, I'm not constantly thinking about when is he going to call me, how does he feel about me, you know, it's like, how am I, how, what am I giving today? You know, and if I'm obsessed, is he calling, is he not calling? Do I want him to call or do I want him to be right with God? 
right? Like it's this whole shift in perspective that this whole inventory is doing. Let me think about others. And I am a naturally selfish woman, you know? And so for me today to have integrity in this area of my life is unbelievable because of where I'm coming from, because of the shame that I, that I had. And so, I don't know, I just think this is such an amazing thing. Like, this book gives me standards on how to live today. And when I have a questionable situation about sex or anything, like, I have an ideal today. Does this match my ideal? Am I behaving according to who God wants me to be today? Right? And, um, and I'm just so grateful. I'm grateful not to be in the, in the food. I'm grateful to not be conducting myself in a manner that makes me want to eat. Eating felt like a step up from how I was acting in my sex life, in, in, my, in my, all my life, because all I was doing was concerned with myself, my schemes and designs. And today, thank you, God, I don't have to do that today. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie G. Monica? Good morning, Rebecca. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and I don't think there's too much I can say after how well Katie just did. But here we are. We're talking about sex, to sum up about sex. And, um, you know, sex is one of the three primary, oh, boy, now my thought is going right out of my head, instincts that God gave us. It's a very powerful instinct, you know, food, shelter, and sex. And so here we, we've been looking at our sex inventory, you know. Monica, where were you inappropriate with your sexual uh, feminism, your power, your sex life, you know? And so I've looked at all that, and I've seen where, you know, a lot of times Monica's motives weren't the best. And so here I'm being given a prayer. I've looked at everything, I've been given a prayer to to for the right ideal, the right goal, the, to use the right principles here. You know, and each step we have has a principle associated with it, like honesty, integrity, love, service, awareness. And so I'm being asked here, to think about principles. What would be the right principle to use here with this relationship, with this person? And like has been said by others, this doesn't have to be just in sexual content. This can be any relationship with any and every person we meet every day. And, you know, what, what's, what's the best ideal here? What's the best goal? What's my motives? And then it says, you know, well, if you're still having problems in this area, if sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. And it can be as simple as we think of their needs. It can be just as simple as, all right, I'm not going down that rabbit hole with this thinking here. I'm going to switch here. I'm going to change and I'm going to think about someone else. Well, you know, that person down there, you know, their, their, their spouse is dying of cancer. I could talk to them. Or just the thinking about them gets me out of my crazy, insane thinking. And when I'm thinking about somebody else, I can't be thinking about me and all the crazy stuff that's going on in my head with this particular person or subject. And that's what it says, it take, this takes us out of ourselves, and it does, and it quiets the urge, when to yield would mean heartache, you know, heartache. We, 
we've had enough heartache, we've caused enough heartache, and we're now trying to live in a life that we love and are tolerant of everyone. And I will pass with that. Thank you, Monica. Sally? Good morning, uh, Rebecca, and good morning, A Vision for You. This is Sally, a recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. So uh, just to sum it up, (laughs) since so much has been said, to sum up about sex, I would like to share on this first sentence, we earnestly, seriously pray for the right ideal or standard for guidance in each questionable situation for sanity and for the strength to do the right thing. So we're asking for the right ideal, for guidance, for sanity, for strength to do the right thing. And You know, I, I just want to dovetail what Katie G said so beautifully. I always thought that when I talked about the right ideal that I was, you know, making my list, he should look a little like George Clooney, he should be six foot two. You know, I thought it was my list too. But in truth, it's about my behavior. It's it's asking the potter, the creator of the universe, to mold and make my own conceptions correct because I have been so sick. It's about the fact that I've been hiding for so long because of my poor judgment and my poor choices. And now what I've been doing in this fourth-step inventory, instead of hiding, has been uncovering. In the past, I was blaming. Now I'm taking responsibility, somewhat confessing my part. In the past, I was steeped in anger and fear and shame over all of these things that I've been writing about. And now it's about what do I do with it? It's about my own regret. It's about my own reactions. You know, we we have the right. We have the right to hold others accountable when we're doing this sex inventory. We want to hold others accountable for what they did to me. And, you know, we can look at page 90 in the 12 and 12 and see what it says about our rights. We can grieve over the negative effects of their actions and what, that, what those effects have had on my life. Or I can take responsibility and stop making excuses for my choices for my own self-imposed bondage due to my own self-will, my own self-reliance, my poor boundaries, because that was a hallmark of who I was for so much of me in the food since age nine or eight. Poor boundaries. I can stop finger-pointing, and I can stop taking a moral inventory for everybody else, I can stop looking for the speck in their eyes, what they did to me. Yeah, I'm going to find the speck. It's going to be there. But the truth of the matter is that this is a turning point. Step four is a turning point for me. It leads me to a readiness to make things right. It leads me to take the flashlight and look at my choices. I can even look... You know, people have come to me with some pretty, pretty harsh things on their, on this fourth step inventory, and have said things to me that have, you know, they could be shocking. Except that I, I've had so many shocking things in my own life that it's not a whole lot shocks me. But the truth of the matter is that even when I had to look at being raped at the age of 17 and then driven through the woods for hours trying to convince this man not to kill me, 
and, and to believe me that I like him. What an incredibly tough thing for me to do, pulling on every, every salesmanship skill that is in my bones at the age of 17. I can still look at that and say, what was I thinking? My poor boundaries of getting in a car with a stranger. What was I thinking? I can take responsibility for my choice. I can stop looking at God and taking God by the juggler and saying, why would you let that happen to me? And instead, I can take a look at me and say, thank you, God, for letting me live through that. Thank you, God, for letting me be the better person because of what happened. Thank you for preparing me for so many other women who have come to me with their stories and that I don't have to live in shock or be out, you know, outraged by what I hear, but instead that I can come with a compassionate perspective. It's all about perspective. I can look at me. I can take responsibility. I can stop blaming. I can, I can grow. That's what this is about. Thanks for letting me share with that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. We're going to move on with Esther C. in the next paragraph. Good morning. My name is Esther C., and I'm a recovered compulsive reader in Canada. If we have been thorough about our personal inventory, we have written down a lot. We have listed and analyzed our resentments. We have begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, for we look on them as sick people. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if we can. So these statements here in this paragraph, uh, they make a handy checklist for our fourth-step work. I ask myself these, you know, I turn these statements into questions and I, and, of course, I uh, tell those that I work with to do the same and see if um, if I'm on the right path. So I ask myself, have I listed and analyzed my resentments? Check. Have I begun to comprehend their futility and fatality? Check. And so on until the end of the paragraph. And I like to call these signposts along the way, meaning that the for me, the way I see it, the big book is letting me know by way of experience that what I can expect at various um, points as I'm doing the steps. In the fellowship, we like to call these promises, right? The big book teaches us that if this is where I am and if I've done my work thoroughly as outlined in these pages, then I should be experiencing what the first recovered members have experienced. So I don't need to get to the end of the process to find out that there are holes in my work. And there are um, there are promises at various points in the book. We have the third step promises on page 63. Of course, these ones here at the fourth step. Step five also has promises on page 75. And, of course, the very famous ninth and step, tenth step promises on pages 83 and 85. Uh, even in steps 11 and 12, there are, there are clues there as to some of the changes and new understandings that will occur for us Again, if we've been, if we've taken our work seriously and we've followed directions, um, the only thing I would point out here, notice, is that we only begin to experience these changes. Right? We have begun to comprehend their futility and fatality. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We have begun to learn tolerance, etc. We're not finished yet, and we still have a lifetime of work to go. But 
these this paragraph is really just letting us showing us a glimmer of the changes um is it you know just just a little bit of change is enough to tell me that I'm on the right road and that I've done my work so far and with that I'll pass thank you thank you Esther would anyone like to share on this paragraph Hi, this is Kathy in Boston. May I share? Please do, Kathy. This is Larry. Thank you. And then Larry. Thank you, Rebecca, for your service. Um, this is Kathy Kay from Boston, a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, I can remember uh, the sense I had when I actually got to this point in my inventory work. Um, there was a sense of relief and joy and hopefulness that I had never had before. Um, And uh, those words, uh, futility and fatality, um, really stand out for me because I had experienced most of my life quite a bit of futility um, uh, about relationships, about um, my work, about the way I experienced my life. And at this moment in the inventory process, I realized that I had uncovered a lot and I, the promises embedded in these couple of paragraphs really uh, gave me so much hope. Um, it's, it's almost, uh, it's a, a marking post for me um, and, uh, and it's the beginning of a life of sane and happy usefulness. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathy. Larry? Hi, this is Larry, a uh, recovered compulsive overeater from Chicago. Thanks so much for your service. Um, yeah, me also, the, the futility um, and fatality. You know, futility, these are words that are that, that strike me. Futility is, is the pointlessness, the, the uselessness of an action, you know, or the thinking that precedes the action. And fatality, of course, is death. Um, you know, and, and these fed, you know, the destructiveness of this disease. So as a result of moving through the process of thoroughly examining my, my grosser handicaps, you know, we, we just got done looking at, at, at sex conduct, harm done to others, but looking at resentment and fears, you know, God has made it possible for me to really understand just how destructive this way of life has been. And let me tell you, for me, it was, um, it was very, very destructive. I didn't need any more convincing. So, you know, being embroiled in self was not only keeping me stuck in the quicksand of this disease, it was going to kill me. You know, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And the step four inventory enabled me um, for the very first time to allow tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward others to enter my consciousness, you know, to deeply penetrate my, my, my subconsciousness, my unconscious mind. And, um, and if I was going to straighten out my past, you know, it was essential that my higher power had to infiltrate my conscious mind. You know, this, this is not about me figuring out like, like somehow, you know, this program was the self-help book that I finally needed. It's not. It's a way 
this this is so much different than all those self-help books that, you know, we've read. This is a way to connect to God, the God of your understanding. And that is the only way out. They were going to call this book, you know, A Way Out, or The Way Out. This was the only way out for me. And, you know, remember that, that for as long as I am, am blocked off of the sunlight of the spirit, this is how long I will continue to try to run the show. And as we recall, the big book tells us, it, tell, it tells us at the very start of this chapter, those who do not recover, who are they? They're people who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. And unfortunately, I, I personally know people who have died from this disease. You know, perhaps they were, you know, incapable of being honest with themselves. I don't know. But their ending was not pretty. You know, I, I've seen the ravages of, of this disease. I don't need any convincing. I know what it was doing to me. And if I was to just kind of show up on this call and do nothing, just listen, that was not going to be enough. I had to take action. And this, this, this step four is so critical. Sometimes we think this is a program of sort of contemplation and debate and analysis. It's not. You know, it's not. It's a program of action, of doing. And if you are trying, you know, I, I, I'll say for me, as long as I was trying to understand why it works, and try to rewrite the chapter on how it works, I would stay stuck. You know, that's all well and good, but I would stay stuck, and I would die of this disease, guaranteed. My ending was not going to be pretty. Um, but as soon as I was to um, turn myself over and surrender, what is surrender? Is that contemplation? No, surrender for me. If you're wondering how to surrender, do the actions without having to know why or how it works, you know, just do the actions and see what happens. You know, for me, I saw what happened, and step four inventory began to um, allow me to get, uh, to allow God in, and then from there, we sequentially get deeper and deeper into allowing God to work in our lives by taking those actions. And now my life is different. I'm not waking up in a food fog. Thank you, God. I'm not dying from this disease. We're either moving towards disease or towards recovery. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. Would anyone else like to share? This is Paula. May I share? Go ahead, Paula. And thank you. Thank you, Rebecca, for your service today. This is Paula from New Hampshire. Paula D. You know, this part, we have begun can't have an ending without a beginning, can you? So we have begun to comprehend their futility and fatality. They go round and round. And I realized that finally. It was going round and round. And you know what? I could change persons. I could change people, places, and things. So I thought. But the futility and fatality stayed right there. So then finally comprehend finally understand. Paula, you know the ride you're on? And you keep raising your hand to go back again. The ride is done now. Oh, no, no, it isn't. Let me come back on again. We have commenced. There it is again. Commences another beginning. To see their terrible destructiveness. A ride that goes nowhere. 
we have begun to learn, again begun. Wow, what beginnings. This, to learn. We mentioned understand. Now to learn. Tolerance, patience, and goodwill. No exclusions, like our program. Toward all men, even our enemies, and most of all, your enemies. For we look, we see differently on them as sick people. That was the last thing I wanted to do was look at them as sick people because then I had to look differently at them. them. They're sick. And we even have a prayer for that. And it says, we have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past and this in God's hand if we can. I don't know. I don't know. But the promises are there right from the very beginning if we have been thoroughly been thorough about our personal inventory. We have written down a lot and that I did. We have listed and analyzed our resentments. Finally looked at them. Wrote them down. Finally got them out of my head and my heart. Put them down and saw them for what they were and what they did. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. I think since we want to finish out the chapter, we should move on to the last paragraph with Sharon H. Good morning, Rebecca. Can you hear me? I can. Thank you, Sharon. Okay, thank you. This is Sharon H. in Colorado, a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. In this book, you read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We hope you are convinced that God, that now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. If you have already made a decision and an inventory of your grosser handicaps, you have made a good beginning. That being so, you have swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. And I just love uh, what it says here uh, when we we get to this point, we have made a decision that we are no longer going to run our lives, that we're going to put our lives under the guidance and direction of um, God as we understand him. And then also, we are going to allow God to shine a light into our hearts and our minds to see the reality of things that have kept us in bondage. And, um, you know, the, the... Excuse me, the four-step inventory breaks down into three things. First, it's the resentment, which is mostly against other people, institutions, or situations. And what's so interesting is how God begins to turn around our hearts and our minds and renew and restore us under his grace because there's a prayer that is attached to each one of these inventories. On page 66, it's the resentment prayer because after we see those resentments for what they are and we take our own self-appraisal of seeing where we were at fault with our own selfishness and self-seeking and fear and all of that, um, we begin to see that these are sick people too, just like ourselves, not that they're sick and we're not because that's what I struggled with in the beginning. And we see why, you know, we can't hold on to that. It's grave, it's fatal, we will perish, we will die. And then in page 68, the fear prayer, 
wow, it tells us that now we are going to be on a new footing. Uh, the self-centered fear that I've got to make my life work on my terms and I've got to make things happen and fix things on my terms, it suddenly we begin to trust in God, in infinite God rather than our finite selves. And then regarding the sex conduct prayer, uh, again, we earnestly ask God for the right ideal so that we no longer cause heartache, heartache to uh, other people, to to little children, whoever is affected by a self-centered way of thinking when it comes to sexual conduct. And so I I loved what Sally shared about the potter with the clay. I have a video on that, and it shows this potter, and he lives here in a mountain town up in Colorado, and it it shows how he breaks down the clay. It's a lump of clay, and then he begins to work with it. It doesn't come up quite right, so he bunches it back down again. But in the end, in the end, the work is this beautiful masterpiece, a beautiful base or whatever. And I just really feel that that's what God does with us in the beginning of this process. And then we continue on on a daily basis as we go and live um, in steps 10, 11, and 12. And so, yeah, we do swallow uh, and digest some very big chunks of truth about ourselves. And uh, But God is turning us around through this whole process. It's God that's turning us around and allowing us to see things through his eyes, not our own. My own eyes are very selfish, self-centered, judgmental, all of those things. But God begins to do this work in us. And... Um, what a gift that is. And then to know that uh, it doesn't end here. This is not the end of the story. This is just the beginning of a new way of life for each and every one of us. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's a long journey because it goes on for the rest of our lives as long as we're here. And yet what a wonderful design for living that has been um, a result of being willing to follow these steps and let God be our director, and let God be the father, because we're his children. And um, I, I, it's just amazing to me this morning. It almost makes me want to cry. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you, Sharon H. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Sarah? Go ahead, Sarah. Good morning, Rebecca. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everybody. My name is Sarah W. Iowa. Grateful recovered cultural reader. Excuse me, Sarah. There's an echo. I just want to ask everyone to mute your phone if um, if it's not muted. If you're not Sarah, go ahead, Sarah. Sorry to interrupt. I don't think there's anybody else that's me, but anyway, (laughs) I was thinking to myself that so many of us struggle with the idea that um, why why did all this stuff happen to me? And so we, we develop this difficulty with connecting with this higher power so that we have enough trust to work through these, this fourth step especially. Because I'm so different, you know, I'm so terminally unique. And I know for myself, um, it, the, the real problem is that I failed to believe that there, um, there was something that can restore me to sanity. Um, and I, I think that that second step was such a huge turning point for me. And in this fourth step, you know, what I have to remember is that, that 
first of all, God didn't make these things happen to me. No, I have self-will, and that's a God-given gift. And I made choices that created a lot of my issues. And the second thing is that as long as I'm able to do for myself, into action means that I can do things for myself to make things better. I can pray, but I also have to take action in those things. So when it talks about um, tolerance and patience and goodwill, I can pray to ask God to help me, but I also have to act as if if I don't feel those things. And I think for some reason we all have this thought, or I have this thought that somehow I should do it perfectly, and I will never reach the pinnacle of meeting perfection. If I did, I wouldn't need a higher power. Well, I'm so grateful today that I have these imperfections. And as God sees fit, and as I still continue to act as if with these behaviors or these defects, that will diminish more and more. They have diminished, but I still have to consciously work at it. I have to consciously work at being tolerant because that is not a personality trait that I have all the time, especially when I feel on guard. And I think that is what it's all about. You know, people have talked about the self-destructiveness, the destructiveness to, to other people. How about the destructiveness to myself? I've totally placed myself in a position where I am isolated because of my feelings, my attitudes, my concepts, my belief systems, and those are what changes with recovery. So I'm so grateful today. And and it talks about there's a long period of reconstruction afterwards. I think it's in the family afterwards, but I'm not sure I won't say I can quote things by, you know, by rote, but I know it's one of my very, very favorite parts of the book because I have to remember Actually, it's on page 83. It's an interaction. There's a long period of reconstruction ahead. We must take the lead. A remorseful mumbling that we're sorry won't fit the bill. And it's a little bit about the ninth step, obviously. But, you know, the thing is that there is a long period of reconstruction with me. You know, not just my relationships, but in me. So I'm so grateful for that today. And, you know, my not being perfect is a gift because that means that I need a power greater than myself for the power to propel me into this direction that I can start living more, a life of sane and happy usefulness, as was stated by somebody else. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. I'm sorry, I just realized I wasn't muted. Uh, Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Hello, this is Marie. Hi, Marie. Thank you. Hi, thank you very much for your service. Um, I'm looking at uh, this paragraph, and it says, in this book you read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And it is so true. Um, When I went through this inventory, that started to happen for me. And I can uh, even, you know, I I recently went through this inventory. Today, when I have fears and doubts about what I should do, and and I still have them, I sit and think, I kind of meditate and pray, 
And eventually the answer comes. You know, God does do for me what I can't do. And it's just wonderful. And um, thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Marie. Anyone else? Well, this is Rebecca. And I think I get to share again since no one spoke up. And I'm so excited about these words in this last paragraph. I think it's meant to be. This is my favorite thing, is that God does for us what we could never do for ourselves and that God removes whatever self-will has blocked me off from him. God does for me what I can't do for myself, so I don't have to worry that, oh, no, now I see all these things about myself, these character defects, and how am I going to fix myself? I don't have to fix myself. That's why there's prayers that go along with each portion of the inventory because we're asking God to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. We don't even have to figure it out. We just have to follow these clear-cut directions and be willing, as the steps go on, to ask God to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, just like we could never stop eating our binge foods by ourselves. We just ask God and be willing to let God do God's work in us. And miraculously as it sounds, because it is a miracle, that's what happened to me. And I believe that's what's happened to the other people I know who have recovered. And it's available to each and every one of us by virtue of just being a diligent student of this simple program. And with that, I'll pass. Um, And let's just see what time it is. I can't find the clock. Okay, I'd say that it's time to wrap up. So um, we're close enough to uh, five minutes before the hour. Nancy O., could you please read A Vision for You? Hi, I sure can. On 164. Thank you. Excuse me. Uh Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if you have your own house in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourselves to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.